8. Proverbs 19, verse number 13. A foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. You know, I feel certain that nobody but a parent can really appreciate the first part of this verse. Only only a parent has been able to feel, you know, the full force of the pain or the joy or whatever it is that a child brings into your life. Back in chapter number 15, verse 20, it says, There a wise son maketh a glad father. But notice here it says that a foolish son is the calamity of his father. And the joy or the pain, whichever direction it goes, that a child brings into a parent's life is indescribable. Let me again remind you, and this is one of the verses I often refer to when people start talking about uh, the Proverbs being promises, and there is a, a difference. Proverbs are not promises. I Just the other day, the, I, I was reading an article by a college, well, not just the college professor, but actually the head of the college, and he was arguing to make that point that uh, the, the Proverbs, at least many of the Proverbs, are indeed promises. Well, they are promises if they are confirmed as such in another place in the Bible somewhere. In other words, you can take a promise somewhere and and uh, adapt it to a, a proverb, but you can't take a proverb and make a promise out of it. Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. And I say that, and it's important we understand this, because so many, so many people have been put on a guilt trip. In fact, this was the verse that the guy was dealing with in Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child of the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. And so, you know, they say, well, that's a promise. I mean, you, 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 you train up a child the way he should go. You know, in the first place, if you're going to make it a promise, I don't know a person on the face of the earth that has done a 100% perfect job in training up a child of the way they should go. Nobody does. It's a learning experience. Nobody, you know, nobody starts out as Dr. Phil. By the way, Dr. Phil doesn't know it all either, but... uh, but that's the point I'm, I'm trying to make. It's a learning process. We don't do it perfectly. It is a probability. The chances are uh, good that when we train up a child as they should go, they will not depart from it, you know, when they're old. Well, here, notice it says, A foolish son is the calamity of his father. And the verse I referred to about a wise son making the glad father. And I referred to this back then. That's not always true. I've known some dads that were, you know, there was, it seemed like one of their greatest delights was introducing their child to their son, anyway, to drinking. I, I mean, to take him out to the bars and what have you. And they, you know, they thought, you know, that's great, or he gets in a fight and wins the fight, or whatever, you know. And so there have been a lot of times that that fathers have promoted sin rather than grieving over it. And, uh, and, and, and so this is obviously not always true, but as a general rule for most of us, a foolish son is the calamity of his father. I mean, it absolutely breaks your heart. Whenever you see your child displaying wisdom by making choices that are right and choices that are beneficial for them, 
that that produces gladness. But on the other hand, when you see them making decisions that you know are not just wrong, but they're also harmful, you know that they're ultimately going to get hurt. It might be a choice that you made as a young person, and you're trying to prevent them from doing the same thing. And so uh, it's, it's the calamity of a father when he sees the waywardness of his children. But notice the next part of this, and, and here he talks about domestic strife. He says the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. And uh, the, the picture, of course, here is uh, dealing with the contention and comparing the contention between a husband and a wife to a leaky roof. Back, you know, whenever I grew up, now, I know there were people that didn't have this problem, but it was common for us poorer folks uh, to to have roof leaks. I mean, I can remember times there'd be three or four different uh, tubs or pots or whatever sitting around catching water when it rained real hard. That was that was just part of it. You just you know, some people couldn't afford to put on a, a new roof all of the time and things like that and. And, and it's aggravating, it's irritating to uh, to get a leak. Now, keep in mind, especially in those days in, in the eastern world where they had those flat roof houses and they were just planks that would be covered with with mud, actually, or clay. And then, you know, whenever that gets hardened by the sun, it works fine. And, and whenever it rains, it works fine getting it off of there for a while. But after a while... It began to leak, and that made for a miserable situation. And, and the point he's making is when there is strife in the home, it is as irritating, as uncomfortable as having a leaky roof. And, and the problem is because whenever it starts, especially in those kind of houses, then it starts breaking out all over. You, you can't just keep it in one spot. I remember years ago, a lot of years ago, me and a buddy of mine went hunting, and we got an old army tent, and we took that tent, and I had a, I believe it was a 50 Chevy pickup truck, and uh, and, and we put some tuba-twos and made, you know, a little camper. That was our, our camper, and uh, put that uh, tent over it, stretched it over, tied it down the best that we could. Boy, it come a, it come a toad strangler that night, and... So we had a lantern of some kind in there. And, you know, I'd never thought about it before, but you don't touch the inside of, a, of those old tents. When you touch it, everywhere you touch it, it's going to leak. And so finally it got so bad in there that we, we just literally uh, took off and uh, drove several miles to somebody that we knew in a little town up by Rolla, Missouri, and spent the night there. But, but whenever whenever a leak starts, it breaks out all over. Now, think about that in regards to a husband and wife and their relationship. And it usually starts over what? Some little minor petty thing that doesn't amount to a hill of beans. But after a while, after a while, listen, if you don't... If you don't settle it quick, after a while, it begins to linger, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And let me tell you, it's more difficult to mend a relationship than it is to fix a roof. A whole lot more difficult. And uh, and a lot of times, we don't take this as serious as we should. You know, you have a leaky roof, and that's an aggravation 
But whenever you've got a, a, a domestic problem in the home, the strife, and I know he's talking about the wife here, but the wives can tell you this works both ways. It's not just the wife that creates the irritation in the home. It's both of us. But the point is that when that happens, it becomes a serious matter. Over the years, and there's so many times that, and I know you've experienced it, uh, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come to church and, uh, and it might be the choir sings great. It might be the choice of songs is good. It might be that on that day, fortunately, the pastor even did a pretty good job and preached a pretty good message, but there is a coldness and a deadness and, and you, want, you, you can't figure it out. And and then a lot of times I've just said to myself after the service was over, of course, and not to you, but but I've said to Bev, I said, you know, I I I could have preached Mary had a little lamb, and it wouldn't have made any difference today. And, and there's sometimes you just know something's wrong, but you don't know what it is. And I learned a long time ago that even when we don't know what it is, it's always caused by something. And our problem is we're not as sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we need to be. We don't realize how little it takes to grieve the Holy Spirit. And, and I think a good example of that is whenever, whenever Peter was talking about husbands and wives and he talks in the beginning there in Second Peter chapter number 3, and he's talking about the wives, the Christian wives who have unsaved husbands and how they're to deal with them that uh, consequently, hopefully, that the husband might be saved after a while uh, through her testimony. But then he says to the husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. And, and we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but right at the end of it, he makes this statement that is key. He says that your prayers be not hindered. You know, when we think about the church, there's a reason why the church is likened unto a body. Because one part of the body affects all of the body. If I hit my thumb on my right hand uh, with a hammer, it affects my entire body. And you, you might think that what you do is your business. It doesn't affect anybody else. But as a member of the church, whatever you do or whatever I do, it has an effect on the entire church body. And so uh, if, if, if a couple, for example, they have a, a big old argument, you know, on their way to church, you know, maybe that's where it busts out going down the highway. And boy, you're just at each other's throat uh, uh, arguing about something or you pull in the driveway. And now all of a sudden you've got to paste a smile on your face. You've got to act like there's not anything wrong. And so you grin the best you can, get out of the car and come in and shake hands. But, but, but it's still going on between you and her. You know, it, it's there. You, you have to restrain yourself. You're not, you're not screaming and yelling or anything like that, not slamming stuff down like you might do if you was at home. But believe me, you can hide it from everybody else, but it will affect that church service. It will. And, and that's why the Bible talks about, it says, let not, the, uh, let not the sun go down on your wrath. We ought to settle up before sundown. In other words, he wants us to know that domestic strife is a serious problem, and we need to take it as such. Well, verse number 14. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. 
Now, this simply is talking about, you know, the people passing on their possessions from one generation to another. And it's common, you know, for someone to inherit a house or to inherit riches from their their parents. And uh, but but notice here the 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 contrast that he makes while that is common. Notice he says a prudent wife is from the Lord. Remember in James 1 and verse 17 where it says every good and perfect gift comes from what? The Father above, right? So every good gift comes from the Father above. So that tells us that even those things that we inherit, although it comes through the, through the hands of our parents, we inherit it. They worked for it. They earned it. They provided it. It came from them, but every good gift comes from God. And we need to consider that as a gift from God, regardless of the form that God uses in getting it into our hands. And, uh, but notice he, he says here a prudent wife, notice he says, is from the Lord. In other words, she's a special gift. That's not something you inherit. You, you know, you, you, can't, you can't just inherit a prudent wife, a wife that is wise and loving and kind and all of those things. Uh, the wife is a special gift from God and and boy, it makes such a big difference, I think, in all of our lives uh, if we had the attitude that our spouse, husband or wife, was a gift from God. Think about that, that your husband, your wife is a gift from God. And, and it's important because so many times we treat people as things rather than as a precious gift from God. And uh, a lot of times, you know, we men are especially prone to do that. And, and, and I understand why we do, because the Bible talks about the fact the wife belongs to the husband and the husband belongs to Christ. I understand that. And there is a line of authority where the man is in authority over the woman in the home. We understand all of that. But still, there's so many times that husbands give the impression to the wife that you're my property. And that's where you get the attitude, you know, that, uh, you know, I'm the boss, we're going to do everything my way, and we don't take into consideration what her feelings might be. And so we, we need to get over this business of treating one another like we're things and think about the fact that your husband or your wife is a special gift from God. And he says in verse 15, Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. And an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Boy, we keep talking about the practicality of Proverbs. And here's another good example. I mean, we've talked already just here tonight in verse 13 about the foolish son that is a calamity to his father, the contentious wife, which, you know, is an irritation to the husband and so forth. He talks about something about inheritance and a wife being a gift from God. But now he speaks about slothfulness, and he says it casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Uh, someone said a lot of years ago, and I jotted it down when I heard it, said idleness is a living man's tomb. Think about that. Idleness is a living man's tomb. 
And maybe that's where that phrase I use once in a while, you know, sitting on the stool to do nothing, whittling on a stick of do less. And, you know, that's the way some people live. They don't want to do anything. I, uh, you know, back in the Ozarks especially, we uh, you've seen the little cartoon pictures, you know, of the hillbillies. And by the way, they're, they're, all of the hillbillies are not just in the Ozarks, but uh, we, do, we do have more than our share. And thinking about an old guy, you know, sitting out on the front porch in a rocking chair, or whittling on a stick and smoking his pipe and just not, not doing anything. Well, listen, there are people really like that. They don't want to work. They don't want to contribute. They don't want to do anything. And the, the, the whole thing of it is... It talks about him being in a deep sleep here. I think it'd be appropriate to say that somebody like that, somebody that will not work, is as useless as a dead man. And I say that because this particular word that's used here is exactly the same word that is used whenever it's speaking about Eve and whenever Eve was made and the sleep that came upon Adam. And, of course, then God took the rib and made made Eve. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It's speaking about a state of being fast asleep or insensible. And he's talking about something that... Uh, or someone that refuses to work and it leads to their poverty and to their hunger. Uh, it's, it's those people that, you know, they, uh, they want more out of life than what they're willing to put into life. Just today I heard a report, and I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I believe it was like, if I'm not mistaken, it's like one out of five, something like that, uh, and, and I think people under 30, somebody help me here, still living either with their parents or their grandparents. Good night. Listen, it's become an epidemic here in America today. Uh, They they don't want to leave the nest. They don't want to leave the nest because there's so many times, you you know, the, the, the parents don't have enough sense to put them out. And there comes a time if they're able-bodied and able to work. And I understand that that anybody can get in a situation to where the parents need to respond to their need and keep them or help them out during the time of need. I understand that. And you ought to do that. But there are so many kids nowadays, they don't want to work. They just want to, uh, they just want to depend on someone else. And then, well, it carries all right on over into society where we've got this Gimme generation, the, the entitlement mentality. And uh, politicians love to put that to use. And so here is a warning about slothfulness. Well, my Bible says, if any man won't work, neither shall he eat. Uh, you know, I, I believe in, and we're going to talk about helping the poor here in just a minute. Uh, we're going to talk about it a lot, by the way. Uh, and, and we have that responsibility to do that. And, and I know some people think they're doing a great thing whenever they go down the street and they, uh, for whatever reason, they contribute to every panhandler they see. And, you know, that's your business. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't want to come down too hard on you because you're expressing your love and your concern for your fellow man. I realize that. But, you know, we can't help everybody, can we? None of us can. None of us can help everyone. Well, if we can't help everyone, then most certainly I want to help someone that's trying to help themselves. And believe me, a lot of these panhandlers out here, that's the way they, that's the way they live. That's the way they survive. 
They play on your sympathy. They, they wouldn't work if you gave them a job. They don't want a job. They don't want a place to sleep. They're living the life that they want to live and depending on somebody else to give them handouts so they can continue that kind of lifestyle. Well, uh, it's not coming from me, I'll say that. Uh, but that being said, uh, we certainly ought to have a loving concern for such people that are in a, in a horrible condition like that. Verse 16, he that keepeth the commandment, Keepeth his own soul, but he that despiseth his ways shall die. Now, the point of this is that security is based on obedience. Our obedience to God's word is not only the path to honor, it's the pathway to safety. You know, it's an honorable thing whenever we examine the word of God and we find out the will of God and then we do that which is pleasing to God. That That is honorable. That's what a person of character will do. But you see, there's more than honor here. There's also the blessing of security in knowing that we have done the will of God. Now, that's the blessing side of it. But if blessings comes from obedience, death comes from disobedience. And, and over and over again, we're warned about that in, in the Bible. He says, but he that despiseth his ways shall die. It's a shame that we don't consider God's commandments as a matter of life and death, do we? We, we really don't. I, oh, you know, we might say, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to kill somebody because I might lose my life or lose my freedom and what have you, but... You know, we try to decide what commandments are serious and what ones aren't serious. Let me tell you, all of them are serious. And, and, and God doesn't deal with all of us in exactly the same way. You know, I think about what David did and I think about the consequences of David's sin, but, but do you realize there were a lot of people that did the same thing that didn't suffer the same fate as that? God doesn't deal with us exactly alike. He dealt with David as he did because of David's position. And, 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 and God knew that was going to be a reflection not only on David and not only on the nation. It's going to be a reflection on God because it was God that put this man in that position as the king. And God's holding him to a higher standard. So when David ignored the commands of God and went down this this fleshly road, the consequences was that his child died. Remember, every command is designed by God who has infinite wisdom. But, you know, you look through the Bible and you think of all of the different commandments, and we're, we'll, in just a minute we're going to look at, at a couple that, that might seem a bit strange to some people. And uh, we look at those commandments and wonder, well, why would, why, why would why would God demand something like that? Uh, but we'd understand if we were as wise as God, right? And we're not. But every commandment is designed by His infinite wisdom. It's given out of the depths of His love. And it's for our own good. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, we look at the... Look at the commandments that says, you know, don't do this and don't do that. And we always think about the negative side. And sometimes we ought to look at it, you know, that, that what God is really saying is don't hurt yourself. 
don't hurt yourself by disobeying these commandments, you see. And so the uh, the wise person, of course, is going to put God's will right at the very top of the list in everything he does. And he knows that the result of that is it's going to pay dividends not only now, but for eternity. He that keepeth, notice his commandment, keepeth his own soul, that is his own life. But if we despise his commandments, he says, that we shall die. Well, the wages of sin is what? Death. And we reap what we sow. Verse verse number 17. And this this will be the last one tonight, but the longest one. Verse 17. He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. If you read your Bible very much, you'll know that that it often places what seems to be unreasonable demands upon us. And that's why I said just a few minutes ago here, we're going to look at some verses and some commandments that God gave that might seem a bit strange to us today. But we go back over in the Old Testament and we see that the Jews are required to let the land stand every every seven years. Now think about that. In addition to giving your 10%, that was the tithe, in addition to the other tithes, there were other tithes, by the way, and we'll not go into all of that, but in addition to all of that, we're talking about a seventh of your income. For every seven years, you had to leave the land as it, as it was. So somebody looks at, at that and they think to themselves, my, that God is being absolutely unreasonable to expect that much out of us. I, just the other day working on a message that I, I, I don't know when I'll preach it, but it's from Malachi chapter 3, and we generally associate that, you know, with tithing, and we're all familiar with the verses and so forth. But a lot of times, you know, we resent the fact that, that God would require us to give 10%. What if God required, required us to give 90%? He could do that, I mean, and rightfully so, don't you think? I mean, after all, he's God and we're not. So he could say, you know, give me 90% and keep 10% for yourself. Or he could say, you know, give me 50% and you keep 50%. God has a right to do whatever he wants to do. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 11, he says, But the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat. And so he's talking about them leaving the crop in the field and they couldn't plant anything and so consequently the poor could come in and they could take whatever was left. Deuteronomy 15 verse 7 he says that there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of the gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not harden thine heart nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. And then Psalms 41 and verse 1 says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Jesus said, now think about this, If thou wilt be perfect. Now he's not talking about us reaching a state of sinless perfection in this life because none of us do. And that's not what he has in mind whenever he talks about being perfect here. He's talking about us being mature, complete, Christians, 
And so he says, if thou will be perfect, if you'll be everything that you ought to be, is the idea here, go and sell that that thou hast and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And then Paul mentioned, he said, remember the poor. Brother Larry Jones was here a few months ago, and of course that, that entire ministry has to do with giving to the poor. And as a result of that, now Brother Larry is united with Rogers Baptist Church, and they've started what is known as the Baptist Charities. And the purpose of that is to reach out to those that are poor, uh, that are in need. And and, and I've got to say, you know, we Baptists have not always done a really good job at that, have we, in responding to the needs of those that are around us. And so I'm glad that we received that reminder and that we've been able to have a little little part in what God's doing uh, in that way. But let's think about this, this statement here where he's talking about lending to the Lord. Have you ever thought about loaning God something? That's exactly what he says. When we have pity on the poor, it's like we are lending unto the Lord. When we think about our responsibility to the poor, first of all, it is a perpetual need. Deuteronomy 15 and verse 11 says, For the poor shall never cease out of the land. And therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, and to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. Remember what Jesus said? He said, the poor you'll have with you always. What does that tell us? For one thing, it tells us that we're never going to eliminate poverty. That's one problem. Listen, the government can bankrupt itself in trying to supply the needs of people, many of which refuse to work, We can do that, but we're never going to eliminate poverty. And so we're, you know, all of the well-meaning welfare agencies and assistant programs and what have you, in spite of all of their efforts, we're still going to have poverty with us. Now, you know, we can look at that and say, yeah, uh, it's always going to exist and, and we can just focus on the negative side. But I think it'd be better if we think about it as a perpetual opportunity for us because we're never without an opportunity to do good unto someone. You know, somebody might say, well, you know, I'd really like to serve the Lord, but I don't have the opportunity. Well, you know, they might mean I've never had the opportunity to teach a Sunday school class. Uh, you know, we, we can't give everybody a class. I remember years ago, one one guy kept nagging at me about a, a Sunday school class, and finally I told him, I said, we'll give you a room. We'll give you a room and some chairs, and, and you can go out here and, you know, pick pick up kids and start a Sunday school class. And it's amazing to me, you know, how all, all of a sudden they're not that interested whenever it requires work on their part. You see, there's a lot of people that love to teach, but they don't love the people they teach. And there is a big difference in that, by the way. But we have an opportunity, regardless of who you are, there's something you can do because there's people all around you with needs. And probably every Sunday you shake somebody's hand that has a need and God could use you to help them. But it's also a personal obligation 
And, and turn over to Matthew chapter 25, for example, and this is one of those subjects we could spend two or three hours on, but we're just trying to hurry through this as we think about lending unto the Lord. Matthew 25, and let's start in verse number 35. The Lord said, For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, and I was a stranger, and ye took me in naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. And then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee the drink? Or when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? And when saw we thee sick, and in prison, and came unto thee? Question mark. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. You see, our attitude toward the poor is taken personally by the Lord. It's as though we did it unto Him. You know, if we could envision as we deal with one another, if, if some way we could just form a mental picture that Christ Himself is standing between us and that person. And uh, it's as though you could just reach through Him or whatever. But He's between you and that person. And consequently, everything you do for that person, every way that you act toward that person, is something that is personal unto the Lord. And that's what He's wanting us to see. You give someone a, you know, a cup of cold water in His name... Uh, you know, somebody else gets a drink of water, but the Lord says it wouldn't be a bit of difference if I was there personally. You have done it unto me. Now, the thing that makes this really, really important is when we consider also, the Bible speaks about it as a proof of our salvation. You know, we think about all of the different evidences of salvation. And talk about the fact, well, if a person is really saved, they would surely follow the Lord in baptism. Well, yeah, they they should. And we think about the fact that they ought to pray, they ought to read their Bible, they ought to witness to their neighbor, they ought to attend church. We think about all of those different things. But sometimes we forget about the most simple things and, and serious things that God has put before us. First John and chapter number 3 is just one of many examples that we could use. First John 3, verse number 17, I think it is. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. Now get this. How dwelleth the love of God in him? Notice, and he says, my little children, let, not, let us not love in word and neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. It's just another way of saying that if we expect people to see any evidence that we're truly a child of God, then we're going to have to take note of how we treat other people. And whenever we see our brother in need, and you know anybody can say, well, God bless you, brother, and I'll be praying for you. And we, we ought to do that. But there, there are a lot of times when they, they don't need our prayers as much as they do something to eat or 
some need that's met in their life. Not only that, but lending unto the Lord is a picture of faith. Let's face it, the main reason that we don't do more for others is that we're afraid that we're going to have to do without something ourselves. You know, I have to put a limit on how much, you know, money I can give you because whatever I give you, that's that's coming out of my pocket. So I'm going to have less. And so consequently, we start reasoning that if I do that, then then I'm going to find myself in need. And, and, and the problem is it's a lack of faith on our part that if we really believe that God would would honor what we do, if God would reward what we do, we wouldn't worry about what we give. And, and the thing to determine is not whether or not you're going to get anything back. That's immaterial. That should never be our motive in giving. I remember a friend of mine years ago, and in fact, it happened to be the guy that invited me to church when I got saved. And and, uh, and this, this fellow was... Uh, well, I mean, I knew some things his mother didn't know, and uh, and the fact is he was tithing because he wanted everybody to know that too, but he wasn't paying his bills, and in fact he wasn't paying me, and his mother didn't know about that, so and so, you know, she just read him the riot act. Why are you, you know, why are you putting money in the church whenever you can't even afford to pay your bills and so forth, and and. Uh, of course, you know, he had a ready answer for that. Oh, well, God will bless me for it. Listen, so many times we take those promises like, for example, Philippians uh, 4 and verse number 19, God, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. And, and people will claim that that's not for everybody. Anybody cannot claim that. Uh, that promise was given to a people that had given above and beyond their means to support Paul's ministry. These are people that love God to the extent that they were giving generously. And Paul is saying to them that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. So we should never give to get, but we should never forget that whenever we give and we give out of a heart of love, that it's going to be rewarded. You see, God looks at the motive. So many times we, you know, we look at the act itself, but God is looking not only at the act, God is looking at the attitude behind it. It's kind of like maybe you heard about Billy Graham years ago and him and his wife had gone to a revival meeting somewhere and and so naturally, he was in a Baptist church, and they received an offering. He thought he was putting in a dollar and put in, I think, put in 20 or something. He was explaining to his wife afterwards, and, and bless her heart, she said, well, you know, said, you might as well just gave a dollar. That's all you're going to be rewarded for. That's all you intended to give. Well, that's exactly right, really, because God looks at the motive and what we do for us, for us to benefit from it. What we do has to be done out of a heart of love. The, the Lord willing and the creek don't rise Sunday night, I'm going to start a new series of messages on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll probably be in there eight or ten weeks in that chapter and talking. It's the, as you know, it's what, 
what some have called the love chapter. Some have called it the most beautiful chapter in all of the Bible. Uh, You might not agree with that, but it certainly does help us to come to a better understanding of what love is all about. And when we truly love others, we'll do what we can to meet their deepest needs. And when we give out of a heart of love, God has promised to reward us. It's like you're lending it, as it were, to the Lord. And and by the way, you know, whenever the Lord, when payday comes, He always pays back more uh, than what than what we ever give. That, that's why we say, you know, you can't outgive the Lord. So the great thing about it is when we leave here tonight, there's no one here that does not have an opportunity to loan something to God because all of us can do something by way of helping those that have needs. And when we do, with the right attitude, God promised He's going to reward our our effort. Well, Lord willing, we'll pick up in verse 18 uh, next time, but we're going to we're going to check out for the time being in our study and hope that there's been something tonight in the lesson that'll be a, a reminder of our blessings and our responsibilities. Anyone have maybe something on your heart we forgot about any announcements that need to be made, Carol? Um, Pastor and and I know we've talked about Gonzales, Louisiana. My cousin Ed Lee was president of the Veterans Association there in Gonzales, and he had designed an eagle. And the man who sculpted the eagle had done things for Walt Disney, the big sculpture. His family as well as myself we're pretty emotional about that because we want that eagle to remain standing and it is a huge piece of art and it was there for the veterans and just pray that that is still standing because his home and everything the water was up to the eaves of the house Amen. Certainly remember that, you know, a lot of times the people are the most important things naturally, but there are things that that mean something to people and uh, and consequently should mean something to us. Uh, Brother John? Could I uh, get the church's permission to put a sidewalk from there by the sidewalk to get over to the plate to the plate being yeah. Everybody in favor, let me know. Uplift the hand. All opposed, like sign. You got it. Uh, a matter of thought, to be taken on it. Uh, we've added a lot of people to the church, a lot of chairs, but we ain't ordered no song books. Yeah, we don't want to be short on song books, do we? Uh, I'm not certain about that book if if it's still in print if it's something we can can get and check into 
I just wanted to share how God works in one way. My plant manager whose home got five foot of water in it, and he's a deacon in his church, and uh, it, uh, it's a very good-sized church. Ninety percent of his church family has had flood damage, and he spent day and night uh, serving elderly saints in his church, uh, helping them out. I mean, he, he's going on two- and three-hour sleep and doing things like that. But his insurance company, the adjuster they sent to that area, came to his house first hmm. and wrote him an immediate $30,000 check just to get started, you know, doing the demo. You know, he, he gave his heart to serving, and God's turning around and blessing. Amen. You know, and it just uh, goes right along with what you're saying, and, you know, in the message today. And, you know, God, God's faithful to honor yes. us. Amen. Kim Horse Heather at from Gonzales. Is she in, in that? Uh, I don't know what town it is. No, okay. Uh, forgot. Okay. All right, all mine is clear. Let's. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yes. I was told prayer when you guys were taking your prayer request. My father in law has now got um, pneumonia. Oh, so wow. please continue to pray for him. Absolutely. All right. I have a praise report that I didn't mention. I had been praying about a job, but I knew in my heart that I would not compromise the Lord's day. And uh, I even prayed to him that I would be able to be faithful in that promise that I was making to God. And a job was provided for me so that I won't. I told, I went in telling them, and I was very nervous, but I knew that I was standing up for, because I knew that God would bless me with a job that I would compromise him with. And I was very nervous that I told them, I said, I know this isn't you know, a Christian company and you know what what I believe isn't really you know the concern here right now. And when I told them that I'm a Christian and I don't believe it's putting God second, they told me that, that it will not be a problem. Amen. So I'm just thankful that God, you know, held me strong in putting him first. That, when I read that it Bless my heart. That was a great testimony. That, and that's what you've got to do. You got to start off that way, you know, from the very, from the very beginning. So, all right, Brother Brock, if you will lead us in prayer tonight, please, sir. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for this day, Lord. We thank you for the lesson, dear Heavenly Father. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, our hearts and our minds, dear Lord. Help us to use it, dear Lord, and help us just to forever trust in you, dear Lord. Lord, all the prayer requests, dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you just see fit to answer them, Lord, dear Heavenly Father, and help us to grow stronger in thee, dear Lord, and just trust in you more. Lord, we pray that you can keep us safe, dear Heavenly Father, to the next appointed time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.